morning's scripture readings are from assorted proverbs about work, and they are printed on the back of your bulletin. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. This is God's word. We see here Proverbs touch on something that must have relevance because it touches on it so often, yet no one will want to admit it. Admit that it's relevant to their life, admit that it applies to their life. That is that some of us are sluggards. And the dictionary synonyms for this include uh, a do-nothing, a ne'er-do-well, an idle, idler, a loafer, or the dreaded slacker, sluggard. And and the Proverbs has some hard but helpful wisdom for anyone who struggles to work with diligence and with purpose. It offers hard but helpful wisdom because God recognizes that most of us want to live flourishing, and whole lives, but we can't do so functioning outside of God's design. And God's design is that work is good because God works. And because we're made in God's image, we are called to imitate him in that. We're called to work as he works, to be satisfied with our work as he is satisfied with his. And yet no one wants to admit being anything less than busy with work. Curious is how busy people really are. This uh, global marketing firm, Havas Worldwide, last year, just last year, surveyed 10,000 people in 26 different countries asking this very question. How, how busy are people really? And their conclusion was this, that most people feel compelled to lie about how busy they are. And not only that, but over 60% of those surveyed believe that people even close to them, those even close to them, pretend to be busier than they actually are. Why is that? Because it's okay. It's okay to be imbalanced about work. But it's not okay to be imbalanced about rest. And that's my immediate concern as we kind of dip our toes into this subject to start. It's that you and I view overworking and workaholism, if you will, as more socially acceptable than the weakness of the sluggard. So overwork, we always talk about this, right? Even when we talk about how we spend our leisure time, how was your weekend? Well, it was what? Productive. And we go, oh, that's so great, and we encourage that. 
Because no one wants to talk about how they sat around and relaxed. Whereas in reality, both the sluggard and the workaholic have a dysfunctional relationship to their work. In that both avoid responsibilities. The ant, the overworker, the workaholic avoids responsibilities by crowding them out of their schedule. Right? They, they crowd out the necessary responsibilities to make a human being whole in life and relationally by sort of getting them out of their crowd. They make themselves so busy. And while the sluggard may endure financial loss, the workaholic suffers more relational loss. Right? Those relationships so key to life slip by the wayside for a workaholic. And so both sluggards and ants need wisdom to restore their relationship to work back to its rightful order. So, so ants, you ants out there, I'm going to get to you, but first let's explore wisdom for those who honestly struggle to work but would never raise their hands to admit it. Let's start there for sluggards. For, for a purely, by the way, negative-sounding label, Proverbs actually presents a surprisingly complex picture of the sluggard. Surprisingly nuanced view of the sluggard. And I think this is in part because sluggards are not the worst people in the world. The struggle to work hard has a few different causes, and so there are a few different wise strategies we see in Proverbs to get out of that sluggardliness. Firstly, some are sluggards because they just have a hard time getting started. Listen again to the description of the person that wisdom addresses here. In chapter 6 of Proverbs. How would you diagnose this person, okay? She says she's just going to lie down for a little while. Right? Now it's just a short nap. Wait, you need to keep on sleeping? Right, that's in verse 10. What about verse 9? What are the questions that are asked there? How, how long will you lie there? When will you finally get up? This is the amateur diagnosis time. Of whom do you ask these kinds of questions? When will you get up? When will you stop lying there? Someone who's depressed, right? Someone who feels stuck. Have you ever had a loved one who's felt stuck like this? If so, how have you tried to encourage them? What what have you tried to do to help them out of it? Let me tell you what doesn't help. Trying to fix their problems with what you do. Saying to them, look, get up. Here's what I do when I'm sad. Here's what I do when I feel stuck. Because chances are, especially if you're close with them, especially if they're a loved one, they're already comparing themselves to you. They already feel shame. They already feel stuck in part because they look at you and they look at someone who's productive and they think, I'll never be like that. So just saying, here's what I do. Compare yourself to me doesn't necessarily work. And Solomon, interestingly, doesn't say, look at what I do. Emulate me. Be like me, does he? He doesn't say that. What he does say is look outside. Look outside yourself and literally just go outside. And not to be sort of of cheesy or, you know, sound like a botanist or anything like that, but but just getting outside, looking outside yourself is a massive help in the spiritual life. See, See, depression, in even its mildest form, is relentlessly curved inward. And if you don't know that, you don't know someone who's struggling, it's important to know that. Depression gets you looking only inward, to self and to self only. Hearing lies that you tell yourself, and you can't hear anything else. And chances are, if someone can just look to a humble example, an example that doesn't judge, 
nor give advice, nor talk at all. Something out of nature even. That can be of great help. And so Solomon offers what we call like a lesser to greater comparison. And Jesus does this too, right? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses people who are struggling with anxiety. And what does he say to them? He says, look at me. Look how much I trust God. You've been walking with me. I'm Jesus. No, he doesn't. He says, look instead. Look instead to the birds of the air, to the lilies of the valley. Consider them. Look how... God provides for them, clothes them. If that's true for them, surely it will be true of you. And that's the kind of thing Solomon is doing here. He's saying, go outside, consider the ant, consider her ways. Let that be an encouragement. So I tried this week to take Solomon's advice. In addition to watching an ant documentary, I uh, went underneath my home. This is, this is my hard sermon prep, my hard work for you guys. I went underneath my home and watched ants for about 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure some neighbor thought I was crazy, but thankfully I was mostly hidden went behind my house. But one of the things you notice is, is these ants. Of course, they just get started and they keep on going. And one ant I noticed, I watched him go back to the nest. And he was carrying this darker leaf, this unusually colored leaf, back to the nest. And when he got to the, to the nest, there was this sort of a little bit larger ant kind of came on and met him and they, they met antennae and and fingers and this sort of thing. And then the other ant turned around, drops the leaf, gets back into line. What I can only assume is go back to get the right thing. And I said, you know what? Okay, consider the ant, learn from her ways. There must be something to learn from this. And there is, I think. There's something very important to learn. Especially for someone who just feels stuck. I know that sometimes I have a hard time starting a new project, whether it's a sermon It's a a training for our community group leadership. Or every time I get into a new term, getting strategic goals ready for the new year. Because I don't often know where to begin. I think, you know, I think and I think and I I write stuff down, but I just don't know where to get started. And before I know it, like the scripture says, poverty is upon me. And I think what I learned from the ant, that it's just best to jump in. Just get started. Before I know it, I'll, I'll quickly get a sense of where I should have started. And sure, like the ant, I wasted some energy and effort sometimes going for the wrong thing, but at least I got myself pointed in the right direction. And so I learned from that ant. Sure, he wasted some energy. Sure, he brought the wrong thing, but eventually he got himself pointed in the right direction. So learn from the ant. So some are sluggards because they don't know how to get started. Some, though, are sluggards because they're unrealistic. Our next verse you'll see on your bulletin there is Proverbs 12, 11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. I've noticed recently, anytime you hear from like a big-time athlete, celebrity, or politician, give the dream big or follow your dreams mantra, have you noticed that it's always towards little kids? It's always towards kids. Like I go to a school and I tell kids, dream big. I tell young people, pursue your dreams. Why is that? Because... Children can spend the bulk of their mental and physical energies working towards their dreams, spending most of their energies towards their dreams. That's why they call it prep school oftentimes. Right? They're spending most of their day preparing academically, preparing socially, preparing otherwise for a dream ahead. Adults, however, have bills and mortgages to pay, right? And so the bulk of their energies during the day have to be spent towards paying those bills, paying that mortgage, getting food for their family, etc. It just makes sense. So the wiser counsel for an adult 
would be something like this. Dream big, but get a job along the way. It's not like my grandfather saying that. It's, it's finally happened. I got the you know, gray in my beard now. I guess I could say it. But dream big, but get a job while you do so. The most practical reason to get a job is to feed, clothe, and provide shelter, of course, for your, food, you know, for your family and for yourself. But there's another reason why it's important to get a job while you pursue your dreams. And that is that the habits you build today, you will drag into tomorrow. It's not like the day you find that dream job, the day you find and you meet your dreams along the way, that's when you're going to start working hard. That's when you're going to build those habits that will lead towards success. Guess what? You're not. You're going to build the habits of sloth, of slacking off. Those are the ones you're going to bring in, and you're going to be unsuccessful. It's interesting. The, the Hebrew word here for, for chases, that's in chases dreams or chase, chasing uh, fantasies, has a, little, has a little stem on it that tells us that it's, it's an intensive word. It's an intense word. In other words, it tells us that the sluggard is obsessed. He's not just walking after his dreams. He's not just keeping his eyes focused on his dreams. He is chasing in an obsessive way after his dream. You see, it's noble to go after a God-given dream, but to keep chasing it and only it lacks judgment. To keep going after the next best thing to think that's going to give us success and that's going to be the money maker and that's going to be what's going to bring us all the happiness we need lacks judgment. Wise is the one who looks at the land, looks at his land right in front of him and says, I'll get to work there. He looks at the opportunity right in front of him and says, I'm going to get to work there. I'm going to start there. That is wisdom. So some are sluggards because they have a hard time getting started. Some are sluggards because they're unrealistic, but some are sluggards because of misplaced craving or misplaced desires. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 says this, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. What do many of us crave through our work? I think one thing we crave is to succeed enough succeed just enough so we can work less. That's why Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek, have you heard of this book? It's a New York Times bestseller for four years and translated into 35 different languages. Why? Because everyone across the world wants to know how to get a 4-Hour Workweek, and this is tagline says, escape the 9-to-5, live anywhere, and join the new rich. Everyone wants that. But wisdom says the righteous is able to give and give and give and not hold back. It's been a long time since I've quoted her, but one of my favorite writers regarding work is a 20th century British playwright and essayist named Dorothy Sayers. And she makes an observation during her time that sort of connects the dots between the sluggard who has a hard time working and the one who just gives and gives and does not hold back. Here's what she says, and Katie tells me all the time not to quote things at length, but I'm going to here, sorry. The the, the essential, she says this, the essential modern heresy is that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the service of society, but it's only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. And then she goes on to say this illustration. We'd all probably nod our head. Yeah, that's probably true. We We want leisure. We want pleasure. That's what we want through our work. Then she uses this illustration. She says, after the war, she was, this is after World War II, she's talking, She said, one of the great surprises is that the men who had to serve in the army 
found themselves for the first time doing something not for the pay, which was miserable for the, you know, the British Army at that time, but they did it for the sake of getting the thing done. She said, prior to the war, doctors practiced medicine not primarily to relieve suffering, but to make a living. The cure of the patient was just something that happened along the way. Lawyers accepted briefs not because they have a passion for justice, because the law is the thing they practice that enables them to live and feed their family. But during the war, every person knew that the work they were doing contributed to the betterment of society. In fact, contributed to the survival of the society. And that's what the righteous person does. He's able to give and not hold back because he is working for something greater than himself. Next proverb, listen on your bulletin, is Proverbs 10.5. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now that's interesting. Why does Solomon put it this way? Why does he put this in terms of sons and family when he talked about works? Why not just say, The person who gathers in the summer is prudent, and the person who sleeps is foolish. Instead, he says, it's the prudent son. It's the one who sleeps is the son who brings shame. Why is that? Because God meant for us. He designed work to contribute to society, of which the family is the most basic unit. We're called to help others flourish with our work. So a son is called to help his family, and the family is called to contribute to society. Notice, Psalm says not only sons, but he talks about shame. And people ask all the time, what's the difference between guilt and shame? And guilt is a failure towards a set of rules, towards law. Shame is failure towards a community. So that's why when we feel shame, we feel shame always towards others. Because we've let people down. And that's why the son here in Proverbs feels shame. He is let down through his work, not only himself, He's let down society. He's let down his family. One of the reasons you may struggle with work, to work hard, is because you simply just crave the self-benefit through your work, which always talks a big game, but never pays what it promises. When you work for self, and you work for self, and you work for gain, you stop wanting to work, eventually. God intends for us to work for others, to contribute to society, to help other people flourish. So wisdom is saying, find a way to work for others. And if you can't, find a new job. So that is wisdom for those of us who struggle struggle to work with diligence and with purpose. Now, Proverbs also addresses the ant, the overworker, the workaholic. The next proverb there in your bulletin is Proverbs 24, 27. And this is just, uh, just chalked full of wisdom. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. The great Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll, who I mentioned earlier, he summarizes this proverb as follows. Work hard, then get a life. Work hard, then get a life. In other words, every hard worker is wise to draw a distinction between his his or her work life and home life. That is wisdom. Now, we know from reading the Old Testament, places like Exodus 121, Deuteronomy 25.9, that when it says building one's house, it usually doesn't mean a literal house, but starting, strengthening, and growing one's family. In other words, a home life. That's to be kept separate from work done outside and in the field in a strictly agrarian society. 
So do your work out here. Right? Get everything ready out here and then go home, build your house. What's interesting is this proverb does not say that the home is more important than work. In fact, I think to, to be a good husband, father, mother, wife, son, daughter, requires bringing the hardworking habits at your workplace into your home to, to be that kind of son, daughter, wife, mother, husband, father, to your home. What's distinct and what Proverbs say needs to be distinct is the timing. Morning and afternoon belong to work. Evenings belong to the home. In my previous post as a pastor, I was overseeing, I was assistant pastor overseeing youth, college students, and young adults. And during that time at this church in Florida, we, uh, we tripled in size from about 500, starting at about 500. And it was really exciting to be a part of watching a church grow. Thrilling. It was electric. And you're working together with these other guys and gals, and you're seeing the gospel go forth, and it's great. We were all pretty young and had a lot of energy. But I got caught up in the rat race of ministry. I had never switched off my phone. When I came home, I didn't switch off my phone. I, I said yes to nearly every speaking opportunity, which inevitably took place in the evenings and on weekdays, which means those weeknights I was as often away from my home as I was at home. And when I was at home, I would go back and forth between the house proper and this garage office I had 10 feet away. I spent so much time there that I had a mini fridge at one point in that office and a little TV hooked up with cable, you know, just in case. And I needed in my life to draw a distinction between that, especially those of you who work from home, to draw that distinction between work life and home life, which meant humbly asking Katie, what can I do? What can I do to be more present at home? And she said, move to the Cayman Islands, which is why we're here. No, that's not really what happened. Remember, that is not not a solution, as we talked about in previous weeks. Just changing a place, changing location. It's just deferring your hope to something else that never satisfies. No, it was assigning work hours. It was assigning office hours to my cell phone. Office hours to my cell phone. And saying no as often as I said yes to invitations to speak. That's what was needed for me. And that was wisdom. Notice, by the way, I'm not bringing up, as we talk here about work, about the importance of rest. I thought I was going to. I was all prepared to talk about the importance of rest, rejuvenation. We'll probably get to that next week. But I'm not talking about it this morning because wisdom isn't saying that here. Wisdom in the proverb is saying, prepare work, get everything ready in the field, and then go home and rest. No, it's not saying that, is it? I'm trying to see if you're paying attention. It says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, then go home and build your house. In other words, home life requires hard work. Home life requires hard work. Some of you say, well, that's all well and good, but for me, I return to an empty house. Then find another household to help build. Maybe it's a neighbor's house in your neighborhood, or even better yet, the household of God. We are not meant to just simply go home, unplug, and switch off all the time. We're not designed to do that. A biblical example of this is the Apostle Paul. When he wasn't in prison, Paul worked hard. People forget that he worked hard as a tent maker during the day, and then in off hours, he built the household of God. He set to work laboring, building the household of God in whichever city he would find himself. 
And he said about this, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 10, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though not I, it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he kept going. He worked during the day in the hot Palestinian sun, helping people build temporary homes for themselves in a nomadic culture. And then he set about during the off hours building God's household, whatever city he found himself. He just kept going. And that's the secret. He says the secret right there. Paul answers, helps us answer the question, how do we keep working from the demands of the day into the demands of the evening? And the simple answer he gives us is grace. God's love made active for you. This, this free gift of God's love activated into your life and empowering you to keep going as you work hard, not only at your job, but in your home. How do you begin to tap into this grace that Paul's talking about? I think most of us feel what makes us tired from work is just all the baggage we accumulate from a long day, right? It's the it's feeling unappreciated or even scorned from work. It's the disappointment we sense, even regret. It's the indecision that we get stuck in at work or even a poor decision that we make that sort of haunts us. It's all that stuff added up from our work day that we still feel incomplete about the job we've done. That sense of incompletion. In, one of, in an old now, but Academy Award-winning film, Chariots of Fire, there's this haunting moment where Harold Abrams is about to step onto the track to run a 100-meter race in the biggest race in his life up to that point. And he starts to reflect on this race he's about to run. And here's what he says in the movie. He says, I will raise my eyes and I will look down that corridor four feet wide with only 10 seconds to justify my existence. Every day, we look to the hours of approximately 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. to justify us, to make us feel complete, to make us feel whole. When it doesn't, we then look homeward. We look homeward to feel appreciated, to feel validated, to feel completed, which no spouse, no child, no friend can possibly bear. Instead, every party grows irritated as we, as we increasingly grow unsatisfied with the other person. So how do you tap into grace then? Use that window of time. Use that window of time either between office and home or when you queue up that late afternoon, 22-minute Disney Aquanaut episode for your kids. Use that window of time to look outside yourself to the cross. God's official verdict is there on the cross. His, his verdict that you are loved, you are validated, you are completed, you are justified. Because of what Jesus has done for you. It's his free gift to you. The further you get that external reality in here, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, the further strengthened you're going to be to keep working harder than any of them at work and also at home. Though it's not I, but the grace of God that is in me. See guys, both the stationary sluggard and the overworking ant both have the same problem. Both look inward for the resources to justify their existence, to keep on working hard. So, so the sluggard hears the inward lies of why he or she is a failure. And so they never quite get started with work. They get paralyzed. The ant musters all its inward mental and physical resources to keep working away towards a perfection it will never achieve and has nothing left by the time 
It rolls into the driveway. Jesus says, by grace through faith, I have made you right with me. It means you are free to fail and you are free to keep building because failure will never define you and I will never stop working and building through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the wisdom of your word towards those of us both who struggle with work, who struggle to work with diligence and with purpose, but also those of us, Father, who frankly overwork and we sometimes wear a badge of honor. Both, Father, are sinful. Both are ways of idolatry. Ways of of justifying our existence. Father, so many of us I know struggle specifically with that sin of overwork, with being a workaholic. And we feel a sense of incompleteness because we never quite did the job we wanted to do. We're coming home and we don't feel like our work justified what we wanted to accomplish and to be the person who we always dreamed of being. And we're so thankful, Father, for the example of someone like Paul who worked his tail off and was still able to work and invest at home. Why was that? Paul wasn't a perfect person. But he didn't look to his work to make him perfect. He looked to what you did on the cross, Jesus, to make him perfect, to justify his existence, to let him know he was validated, loved, and completed, not because of what he was doing, because of how hard he worked, but because of the work you did on the cross for him, Jesus. What that means for us practically, and please, Holy Spirit, work this into our lives more and more, is that we are free to work. And as we work, we're free to fail at it. And we're free to keep going at it. We're free to keep building at it. Because failure doesn't define us. Being your child defines us. And you always promise that no matter how many times you fail, you want to keep working, moving, and building through us. Thank you so much for that. Please, to sink that truth deeper and deeper into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.